Morning, Journey. Good to be here. Hey, I uh, I was thinking about maybe this sermon is uh, kind of one string, just one thing you got to remember. And I thought maybe, Lord, is this the right thing for uh, for this weekend? And uh, last night in the first service, uh, two songs ago, it says, uh, uh, "You and I are made to worship. You and I are called to love. You and I are forgiven, and we're free." And so talking about loving God and leaving idols, I, I was thinking about that and I thought, man, Lord, I needed that song. And I hope some of the music that we've sung has kind of opened your heart up uh, and my kind of leaning hard on the Holy Spirit this week to say, you know, Lord, this is a big deal and it matters in our life. And so hope your hearts are open to what God might be speaking to you about today. And let, let's pray and ask him to, to help us along the way there. Father, we thank you for uh, your clear message that you have loved us with an everlasting love, and there's nobody that loves us like you do. And so, Lord, in light of that, we just pray that there would be uh, just a freedom here today for each person to consider what it is that uh, you want them to take home with them from this uh, time together out of your word. We love you, and we want to uh, exhibit that by our life's actions and our daily decisions. And you have been good to us. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen. Bet. Hey, you know, when I when I grew up, uh, I was in you know, a home like you were, as far as different different uh, structures. I, when I was born, I had a mom and a dad. Uh, had a brother who was 19 years older than I was. Uh, he was going into the Navy when I was born, and um, he uh, he was married shortly after. So I was kind of raised as an only child at some level. My dad passed away early on, so it was just me and my mom. And so, uh, no sisters. Uh, so I get married. I get married and uh, get married to a wife, and we have a have a have a daughter. Oh, that's good. And then we had a, a daughter, and another daughter. And then we had then we had another daughter, and, and then and then amazingly enough, we had another daughter. Okay, <laughs> so we got five five women and me, and oh, and we had a dog, and uh, her name was Chloe. <laughs> So we didn't vote much at my house, okay, because uh, it's devastating to vote at my house for me. So no votes, uh, we just kind of ran with other structures. But what was God thinking when he did that? I kind of went, man, what are you doing? But I did discover this, that um, uh, as a husband and a father, I became very protective of those women in my life. And... uh, it was, it was really my desire to provide a safe and secure place for my wife and my daughters uh, as they grew up. And I made a lot of choices along the way about my vocation and about larger decisions about our family in light of how it would affect my daughters and their futures. Um, it was my desire to, to think of them when I was making my decisions. I was concerned daily for their safety and success. I, I would never lie or deceive them when I was giving them counsel. And it was my intention, actually, in the big picture, to just lay down my life for these people in my family. And as far as I can tell, they're not here today, so I can say anything I want, but uh, uh, as far as I can tell, that, that turned out pretty well so far. But as as I was doing that, at one point there came the dating years, and with four daughters, that was a whole new ball game for me. 
And so it was a, it was a, a bit of a uh, point of anxiety in all my daughter's lives to know that any date that uh, they uh, intended to have with a boy, that, that young fellow needed to come and meet with <laughs> the father, you know. And so, okay, so that, that's a good thing, except that they knew that uh, if I discovered that th this fellow was not a person of character or integrity, and basically I, I didn't think he was very trustworthy, or his lifestyle didn't kind of pan out from my perspective to be a, a safe one and a good one, that I would probably extend my interview with him. And I, and I told my daughters, I, will, I just want you to know that I will, I will I'll talk with him uh, probably the second time or maybe just extend the first time. And, and I'll be cleaning my shotgun and, or I'll be sharpening my hunting knife. Is that okay? And the problem is they knew that I really meant it. I own both of those and, hey, we'll just have a great discussion. But I, I did. I meant that. When I met with their date, though, usually I would, it would go something like this. You know, son, I, I appreciate you coming over. It's a point of respect, and I really admire you for that. Thank you for, for meeting with me. I, I want you to understand my perspective on your time with my daughter. Um, I've spent literally thousands of hours taking care of her. My wife and I both, but I'm just talking about me right now. I helped feed her when she was born. I, I uh, uh, did all kinds of things to take care of her. I have helped her uh, as she grew up and walked the floor with her. I've given her my best counsel all through her life. Uh, I've uh, given her music lessons, and, and uh, I've even gone to her concerts. And uh, that's a higher level of commitment there, you understand. Um, when she was sick, I took care of her. I stayed up at night with her. When she needed to be in the hospital, I was in the hospital with her. You know, I really, really like this girl. And she is very important to me. I, I could easily tell you that I, I would, son, I would, I'd walk on cut glass to help her or to keep her safe. So, uh, since she's so precious to me, I, and you're going to take her out on a date, I would expect that you would treat her the way that I would treat her or better. That you'd respect her and make sure she's safe and treat her in a way that would honor her. Can we agree on that, son? Is that okay? You know, the majority of the time, my daughters brought home great guys. Uh, the majority of the time. They're still looking for the other guys, but... Uh, oh, <laughs> just a little joke, just kidding there. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But... You understand what I'm saying, don't you, right? Uh, I wasn't trying to be mean or domineering or controlling. I was, I was simply saying, look, if I'm going to make some requirements uh, uh, for you, my daughter or young man, uh, it comes out of absolutely out of a heart of love and my commitment to you and your safety. I love you. And I think I've shown that by the way I've lived and the way I've treated you. So uh, when I make some requirements, it comes out of that pure motive. And any young man that would do something to harm my daughter is not my friend. And any young man that would alienate my daughter from me or my wife is not my friend. 
because I know the commitment I have to her and how much I've invested in her and how much I love her. And in light of all that, folks, I could say that I, I think I could say I'm jealous for her love and loyalty. I'm jealous because I love her so much. So that word jealous comes into play in the Bible as well. And I personally believe that all good parents hope that their, that their kids will grow up and want to have a, uh, a life where they love each other and they're, they're, uh, they have a lifelong friendship with their kids. All parents who really love their kids hope that that will happen and they, they work toward that to the best of their ability. Anything or anyone that would threaten that commitment and that relationship is not their friend. So being a parent has helped me understand a little bit about uh, what God is like and how He feels towards you and me. He says, I am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, it says this, So be careful not to break the covenant your Lord, the Lord, has, uh, the Lord your God has made with you do not make idols of any shape or form, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. And the Lord your God is a devouring fire. He is a jealous God. If you took that just on its own, you could say, wow, kind of a stern view of God, you know, devouring fire, jealous God. Well, if you look at how he treated his people and all, of, all the things that he has done to take care of them, that jealousy takes on a whole new uh, look. God is our creator. His motive towards his creation is one of love and goodwill. He's made us, and he knows truly what's best for us. And you know, he's desired for every person since Adam and Eve to have a good relationship with him at some level. Idolatry and sin and stuff like that really messed that up along the way. But God has wanted a relationship. And so when any ideology or person or thing threatens to come between you and him, God, uh, excuse me, and, and uh, tempts you to believe that he doesn't have your best interest in mind, or maybe he's not telling you the truth, then, then God calls that ideology or that thing or that person, whoever that might be, he calls that an idol or a false god because it's come before him. And it is not his friend. In the Old Testament, the problem of idolatry is a, is a major topic. Um, the term idolatry, uh, idol or idolatry, comes up over 230 times in the Bible. And that's not counting all the examples of idolatry, but just the term idol or idolatry comes up that many times. People's hearts turning towards other things besides God was seemingly a repeated process. People would would follow God and then they'd turn away from God to idols or to other things. And God had to deal with that on a repeated basis. And you know, it happened uh, many times in specific uh, crucial situations. Remember when, when uh, God freed his people from Egypt and they went out into the desert, God took uh, uh, care of them in the desert and finally they came to Mount Sinai and they were at the base of Mount Sinai, over a million people uh, that were Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. And God told Moses to come up to, on Mount Sinai and he would give him instructions. So Moses goes up the mountain into this cloud. And there was thunder and lightning, the Bible says. And it was kind of a mass of just 
chaos up at the top of this mountain. And Moses goes up into that. Well, he's up there and, you know, we think of him getting the Ten Commandments and coming back down. But in reality, when you look at, uh, like in Exodus 20 and and on, uh, there's about five or six or more chapters there of instructions that God gave beyond the Ten Commandments that uh, he was up there with Moses discussing. And so Moses is up there a long time. And the people down at the base of the mountain are going, hey, where's Moses? It doesn't look good up there. Maybe, maybe he's not coming back. You know, we need to be taken care of down here. We, we need a God. And in, in Exodus, it says these words, we need a God to go before us, someone to protect us. Have you ever wished that you could just have uh, uh, God just you know, map out the way for you? Uh, perfectly well these people were saying we need somebody to protect us because there were people that would like to kill them out there and so we need some sort of God well the first thing they did was form a committee which is the problem okay uh, it really wasn't a committee exactly but they started talking about things and Aaron got in on this this was Moses's brother and he was kind of in charge there so they started talking to Aaron and said Aaron we need to, we need a God of some sort we need something that can protect us somebody we can worship something worthwhile and so they thought, and they thought, and they thought. Finally, they said, one of them, I'm sure, whispered into Aaron's ear, Aaron, hey, got it. How about a cow? Cow's good. What were they thinking? You know, I've driven, I've driven a lot of miles in rural Montana, uh, out enjoying the wide open spaces, and you'll come across cattle that are in the road every once in a while, and they, you come up against them, and they'll kind of look at you, and finally get off the road, right? They don't get off a long ways. They kind of get off about 10 feet on either side. And so you're driving through this herd of cattle. And I, many times I've driven through a herd of cattle and looked out my window into the faces of these cattle. And I've seen cows as we're going by and they look something like this, you know. They kind of watch you go by, you know. And as I'm looking out my window towards them, Never once, folks, have I ever thought, man, I could put my life and future in the hands of that creature. <laughs> have you ever thought that? What has a cow ever done for you? You know? I've never done that. Um, and you know, we kind of, that's probably a little bit of a paraphrase about that time in Moses and Aaron's life, but I'd like, to, I'd like you to admit to yourself haven't you put your, your life in the hands of an idea or people or things at times that weren't any more beneficial than a golden calf? Now, they didn't do a golden cow. They had to carry it around. So somebody said, we need to make a small one. So let's do a calf, right? So do a small golden calf. And so they began to worship this golden calf. Are there things in your life that you would say, you know, that has become a priority in my life and it's not God? And, and, you know, it can be taken away from me in just an instant. It can leave. It can bail on me. It has no power actually to help me long term and certainly has no power to help me in eternity. Well, let's think about that. What idols or ideas do you have in your life today that would take the place of God and his, his, his authority in your life? One thing I want you to remember, and I'm going to say it more than once today, idols are famous for promising what they cannot deliver. Putting our faith in something that has no power to really help us is planning for disappointment. 
If we were to condense the sin of idolatry into a single sentence, it'd be something like this. Idolatry is loving or honoring something or someone more than our Creator God. Let me say that again. Idolatry is loving or honoring something or someone more than our Creator God. That makes sense? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and what? Deuteronomy. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, all these things are going on. The Ten Commandments and all that stuff's happening. In Deuteronomy, they're just about ready to finish being in the desert and they're about ready to go into the promised land where God has promised to make a home for them. Well, before they do that, Deuteronomy is the book that records all the things that God rehearsed for His people. And if you wanted to remember, if you wanted to... uh, Think of Deuteronomy in one word. It's the word remember. And in Deuteronomy it says remember, remember, remember all the things that have gone on in the first uh, time they've had with God. Remember, I'm the one that should be first in your life. Deuteronomy 5 verses 6 and 7 says this. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, You must not have any other gods before me but me. God's first words in this section here in Deuteronomy, when he's rehearsing this for him, he's saying, hey, remember me? I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Remember all those plagues? I did those plagues. Remember all the things that happened in the the desert? I provided manna for you and quail and water. I'm the one that did that. Remember that. He's saying, remember what my motives toward you have been. I have loved you. I've been faithful to you and rescued you. I've kept you from a life of pain and degradation, of bondage and destruction, sure destruction in in Egypt. I am the one committed to your safety and success. Don't be loyal to any other gods but me. He's saying, no one has your welfare in mind like I do. He's saying no one will always tell you the truth except me. No one will show you how to live well in this life like I can because I'm your creator. No one can prepare you for eternity except me. Don't honor any other God except me. So when it comes to dealing with idolatry in our life right here and now, 21st century, honoring and loving other things or people more than God on a daily basis, is a temptation and something we're going to have to deal with. Because we can be idol worshipers right now. Loving God more than things like the approval of other people. Loving God more than, I mean, loving uh, God less than, excuse me, uh, money or success, things like that, are putting them above God and they become idols in our life. How you prioritize your life will reveal who is most important to you. How you prioritize your life will reveal who is most important to you. At our journey offices, we have a little plaque. It's just about that large. And it has on it what's called a hierarchy of relationships. Okay? Uh, It's in the bathroom. It's so important. Okay? And almost anybody in the journey staff could quote this for you. They'll, they'll tell you what that is because we, we want everybody on staff to live by this 
set of priorities. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the bathroom, it can be on the counter there. You're washing your hands. There it is. You're in the bathroom, using the bathroom, and it's up on the, on the shelf up there. And, you know, there's no Red Book magazines in there. There's no Popular Mechanics magazines in there. There's no Focus on the Family magazines in there. There's nothing in there except this plaque. What a godly staff. We want to want to get this etched in our minds. So you ask any of the staff what that is and give them a test if you would. That'd be a good thing. Here's this hierarchy of relationships. It's on your note page in the back, actually, if you want to flip that over. And if you'd like to fill that in, I'm going to go through it systematically today. Okay? Let's look at it from the perspective of idolatry. Let's look at our family life from the perspective of idolatry. If you're single or in other situations, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But this is kind of... Uh, looking at the family, all right? Putting God first in our homes mean that, means that we prioritize our, lo- our loyalty to our relationships. So you have to get used to this. I just like visuals, all right? So I'm going to always have some sort of visual here. Guess who comes first? In our life, we need to put God first. If He's first and His values are first and what He's told us is first, everything begins to work well. After our spou- after our after God comes our spouse. Our spouse, second, third, our kids. They have children in the home, they're next. After our kids comes our parents, extended family and siblings. After that, everything else. I'm going to put that under ministry, because our entire life is intended to be something that is honoring to God and a blessing to other people. So this would be things that's on your sheet there, like your work, your hobbies, recreation, other friendships, things like that. Love and honor God first. Love and honor your spouse after that. Then your kids. Then your parents and siblings. Then everything else. Now, you kind of go, okay, good, let's go home. Hold it. What happens when this happens? What happens when that happens? When the kids are honored above the, our spouses, conflict happens. And so I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to give you the secret to the whole thing. Anytime you move these things around, you're going to have conflict. What happens when the kids are above the spouse? Well, in reality, folks, it actually then looks like this because it's a form of saying, we're not going to honor God's uh, plan for the, our, our lives and our family. We're going to put our kids above our spouse And really then our kids become above even God's plan for our family. So what happens when the kids run the home? You kind of go, I have some examples. Okay. When the kids run the home, it looks like this. Uh, You know, let's make sure that the kids have everything they need and all all that they can possibly desire and, and anything that makes them unhappy. Let's just remove that from their experience. Okay. Uh, it could be in the area of discipline. A spouse, one spouse might say, a mom or a dad might say, um, "Hey, you know, let's uh, don't be so harsh on them. Okay, they're doing just fine." And the other spouse says, "No, they need some correction and training. The spiritual uh, uh, training and upbringing and the discipline of a child is is what God wants us to do." Well, the other person says, "No, we're just being too hard on them. Just let them do what they want." Well, then they're running the house, aren't they, folks? And when children run the house, they begin to think that. You know, uh, they are the center of the universe. And in any parenting class that I've ever taught, I've said, you know, 
If you do that, eventually, somebody with a Glock and a badge is going to correct them. Right? When they grow up, eventually, they're going to discover that somebody is going to tell them no. And you know, they're going to look at that person as a very bad person. They don't tell me what to do. I never got this at home. Now, I could, I could spend the rest of the day on all of these. I'm just going to give you a few quick examples along the way. What, what, if, it's, what if it looks like this? Um, yeah, this. What if God is actually put below your spouse? What does that look like? Well, maybe, uh, maybe one spouse says to the other spouse, you know, we need to earn some extra money. You need to help me deal drugs. That's just a little joke. You can laugh at that if you want. Is he serious? Okay. <laughs> you know, there, there are things... I'll give you an example. My wife uh, and I went uh, around and around, as they say, during most of the time that my children were growing up. And one issue was whether or not she should, go, whether or not she should work rather than raise four kids. And I would bring it up every once in a while because I felt the burden... Of the, of the finances. Now, are wives working uh, wrong? Not at all. Okay? But my wife said, I have enough to do right here. Thank you very much. And by the way, you helped create these kids. <laughs> so we had discussions. You know, you, know, you know what I mean by discussions, don't you, right? We had discussions. Well, she held her ground and didn't do a lot of it. She worked here and there. But you know, I look back on that and I kind of go, you know, God, you spared me from, because I uh, worked quite a bit myself. And uh, somebody needed to help train those kids and love on them. And I'm getting the benefit now of four daughters that love me and love my wife and love their kids because my wife invested in them. You know? And so as long as you can invest in your kids, as long as, as, long as they're doing good, uh, you, do the right, you make up the rest of the, the scenario for you, but for your, for your family. But, but a spouse is put above God. They're an idol. Needs to be in that order. Can anybody picture this? Anybody know any good mother in law jokes? <laughs> Parents can be put ahead of your spouse and your children. If my loyalty is not to my wife, it's to my family or to my mom and dad, and we're early early in our marriage, and, and I prioritize that what they think we ought to be doing over what my wife thinks we ought to be doing. We, we have conflict there. Um, my mom, because I was raised a bit, a bit of, as an only child, uh, my, my mom knew what was best for me, and she let Connie know that every once in a while. That didn't go over well with Connie. Okay? So now I'm caught in between. Guys, you ever been caught in between? Mom and your wife. Dad and your husband. Right? What do we do with that? We honor what God has told us to do and put those things in right order. Right? How about uh, siblings, family in general, that we put above, above our spouse? You and, and then, I mean, God and then your spouse and you. That's the first thing that we need to get right. How about this? Anybody ever put anything in the area of ministry above your spouse? 
like work? Any of those things that are put above, I kept forgetting to remove these and put it in the right way. There we go. It's on there. There we go. Put it right there. If ministry is put above our spouse and our kids, such as, I don't know, can golf be an idol? One of the one of the ushers in the first service last night said, you forgot to mention fly fishing. And I said, I don't want to lose half the congregation. Can recreation or hobbies or uh, other friendships, uh, other people we like to hang out with, be put above our family and our other priorities here? Sure can, can't they? When they're put above these people, they're actually above God's plan and they become an idol in our life. I just feel I, I just feel like Vanna White. I don't know what the deal is. What's the deal? There we go. Putting God first in our life is crucial. Putting His ways and what he, how He wants to structure our family is crucial. Keeping these relationships in right order brings security and stability in our life. When we change the order, we have a form of idolatry. And we, we change uh, the peace in our home into conflict at some level. If you're a single adult or a son or a daughter that's out of the house right now, uh, you're going to have to say, hey, my, my parents are still an influence in my life if you're single. I'm going to honor them and bless them as my parents. That you're probably taking some of the relationship or some of the responsibility for your living on your own and you're going to have to kind of change that a little bit. The key is that you keep God first. Always putting Him first in your daily decisions, honoring your your mom and dad, at whatever level they are involved in overseeing your life. Idols, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and being loyal to His plan for your life is the wisest thing we can do. Idols, once again, here it is, are famous for promising what they cannot deliver. God, however, is famous for His strong love for us and and always telling us the truth and bringing forgiveness and freedom from the bondage that sin and priorities out of order bring into our life. He's the one that can be trusted. He's the one worthy of our loyalty. Would you uh, kind of set your things aside just a minute and just think about this with me for a second? Set them aside, bow your heads, just have a a little quiet time between you and God. Bow your head and close your eyes and say, Hey, I'm going to think about idols for a minute. Are there, are there things in my life that are out of sequence, out of priority? Are there things that I'm putting my faith and trust in for my security or my well-being that are, are above God and His ways in your life? If there are those things, it's fair to call those things a false god or an idol because they are taking, the, taking God's place uh, in your uh, loyalty and your priority. So the way we kind of often do things, as many of you well know here, is if you're thinking about that, you're kind of going, you know, I can, I can see that there are some things that I could reprioritize and be a lot better off in my life and that God would honor me for doing that. If you're thinking about that and you kind of know there are some of those, the way we do it at Journey is just have you look up and raise, raise your hand and uh, say, you know, I'm going to change some things in priority in my life. I'm going to put them 
uh, in priority under God and having Him first in my life. Is there anybody here that would say, yeah, I'm considering that? You betcha. All over, you bet. See those hands, you betcha. Nice going. You bet. You bet. Absolutely. And you here. Anybody else? Absolutely. Good for you. And there, you bet. Now I'm just going to ask you a follow-up question because sometimes I feel like in sermons I'm too too worried about uh, either time or or, or uh, being overly sensitive to the folks in the congregation. But I know how devastating it can be when your priorities are out of order. So I'm going to ask you a follow-up question: Is there are there some of you here that you would say, you know, I not only can see something in my life that uh, is uh, out of priority, but it's been something that I have clutched and held to myself and said, I will never change this, or this is this is my part of my identity, this is part of, of uh, a vow that I've made because I was hurt as a child. Uh, there are things that I've done, bitterness or trouble or uh, uh, things that are just ungodly that God has not been given the permission to be Lord over in your life. Is there anybody here that would say, you know, I, I'm, I didn't raise my hand the first time, but I... There's a big one that I need to work on that I just know that I need to make a commitment here to even begin the process. So is there somebody here that would say, I'm going to work on something fairly large in my life that I've never until today had an opportunity or been willing to make the commitment to change that priority and put God first. Anybody that would say, I'm going to do that. You bet. God bless you. Yes. You bet. God bless you. I so admire you for that. I believe that God is going to honor you for those commitments and that it matters that you made that commitment today. Let me pray for each one of you. Father, I thank you for the honesty here today in so many people's lives. And I know there are likely people that didn't raise their hand that know that there are things that they need to change and that have come become idols or false gods or false securities in their life that uh, God has just not been allowed to be uh, over in their life. And Lord, for those that have raised their hands, I pray that you would do a, a couple things for them. Lord, would you give them courage to follow through on that? Because Lord, in all honesty, our commitments are as good as following through with them. And we know that in our hearts. And so I pray that you'd give uh, each person that raised their hand a deep, settled certainty that they're going to change this with your help. And then, so then secondly, Lord, I would pray that the power of your Holy Spirit, working in tandem and in partnership with these people that have made commitments, would begin to help them see changes in their life, and even in the next couple weeks. Lord, honor them with some good rewards along the way. I pray that you would make them aware when they are, are putting that back over your Lordship in their life. And may you be the, the God of their future. May you be the one who is, is uh, first in every decision. And we do ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give each person as well the power, not only the determination, Lord, but the power. Give them the strength to make those decisions when those hard forks in the road come and they have to determine who's going to rule in their life, who's going to take care of them, who's going to be their God. Give them that great strength and courage to make those commitments. We love you, Lord. You are the one worthy of our loyalty. In the name of Jesus, amen.
God bless you guys. Let's continue to worship.